Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlives podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. This is episode 131. We keep blowing them. <laughs> I swear to God, this one wasn't my fault. I swear to God. <laughs> it was not your fault. <laughs> it was uh, It was a case, if you've followed our website at all, uh, yeah, my brother. Let's just say, if you're diabetic and your doctor tells you to do something, you probably should do it. Uh, if your doctor tells you not to do things, uh, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> Apparently, this is important when you have certain medical conditions. You think? I mean, I only have one medical condition. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> which just requires me to liberally self-medicate as required. Doing it right now. Fine, Berkshire Brewing Company, steel, or medicine. It stops your hands from shaking. Uh, in the morning, <laughs> certainly. <laughs> but yes, apparently when you have uh, other conditions, when they tell you uh, don't uh, order takeout ice cream, I don't know if that's a thing, but if my brother could find a way to get it, he did. Um, apparently, that's serious when they tell you to do those things. Take out ice cream. Well, I mean, yeah, you can walk up to a window and take ice cream away. Oh, you mean he's not walking. Ice cream? He's not walking. Does he have a rascal? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Did I'm, they take his foot? <laughs> don't rule anything out at this point. Um, it's at this point he's uh, he's going to survive. Uh, he's in intensive care. I don't want to go into too much detail, mm. but uh, long story short, uh, my brother, uh, who I, I love to death, despite the fact he stole my Green Arrow and Mark Grunewald Captain America comics when I went to college. Um, so this is karma. Uh, I, don't think, I don't think a few missing comic books of questionable monetary value uh, warrant a week in the ICU. All right, that's... <laughs> um, yeah, okay. But it, it looks like he's going to come up. But he did a number on himself, so it was uh, a very stressful week for my family. And uh, certainly most of last weekend, I was not in the mood to talk about uh, DC Rebirth <laughs> <laughs> or, or Civil War. We'll get back to Civil War this week, apparently. Yes. So, uh, yeah, it, we did get uh, some messages from listeners. Uh, thank you, uh, He's he's going to be all right eventually. He's going to survive it, but it's it's been a, a tough week. Uh, I don't want to bring the whole show down right from the beginning, but you know, at least at the very least for once we missed a show and it wasn't because, ooh, I'm working too hard. Mm. No, instead I'm grinding my teeth, waiting for the phone to ring <laughs> twice a day. But we've had some successes. Uh, we're celebrating one year this weekend in the new Crisis on Infinite Midlife's home office. That's right. It's actually one year today. Yeah. Uh, we, we moved in. <laughs> That's right. Is that why we're hiding here in the basement in case any trick-or-treaters show up? Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> no, we can't have that because just like last year, yeah, we don't have any candy yet. Yeah. <laughs> this is the kind of neighborhood. You, you, we wouldn't get kids. We get the snutty teenagers yeah, because we're not that far actually from the local high school, and there's a path apparently that runs through our property in back of the high school, and then into some other properties. So it's 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 a well known fact that the high school kids traipse through. Yes, and uh, we we would get the ones with you know a, a sharpied on a white Hanes t shirt. This is my costume. You give me candy, and I've got. And what did you come as, Ennui? <laughs> <laughs> Really? I came as the Terminator of paintball. Thunk, 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 thunk. Hey, happy Halloween. Thunk, 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 thunk. 
Trick or treat, I choose a trick. Yeah. <laughs> no, not until I... <laughs> I don't have enough time to clean out the garage to fit my car in it before tomorrow. So we'll, we'll... No, we'll just turn all the damn lights off and hide, hide right. in the basement and watch right. television. <laughs> watch shitty horror movies. That's a good plan. The problem is the goddamn fucking woodpecker is going to make noise and call attention to the house. It's back. <laughs> it took eight weeks and we finally got... We had this woodpecker. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show. Well, you're gonna now. Yeah, we've got this woodpecker who has decided. I don't know what they painted our house with when we moved in. I think it may have been crack, but <laughs> this bird just loves guts. drilling holes in the side of the house. And we finally got somebody out to fix it last week, and thought that was the end of it. Now he's back bright and early this morning. He's drilled two, two fresh holes Jeez. in the side of the house, <laughs> just in time for heating season. I'm glad that we're going to be paying for. Well, this morning at, at quarter of eight when it started, I, I discovered that it doesn't like the noise that the shade makes when it goes up and down in the window. So it flew off the tree into uh, off the house to the tree across from us and then just stared at me for a while and chirped like, motherfucker, what are you doing? This is where I live, bitch. Like, and then it flew off. Like, seriously, it stared me down, stared me and Parker the cat down. This fucking woodpecker first showed up in August. And we've made many reports to our building management to have it dealt with. And finally, we've had a little bit of repair, but they also said, oh, we've got some tricks up our sleeve to keep them away. And uh -huh. apparently, the <laughs> trick they have is, let's pretend it's not happening, <laughs> which is tricky. It doesn't work. Fingers in their ears, closing their eyes. I can't see you. I can't see you. <laughs> and, and I looked it up. You're not allowed to kill them. I can't like put poison out or it's a, you know it's a stupid little bird. Sick Parker on it. Yeah, it's a stupid little bird trying to attract a mate or, or make a home. There's a million trees around here he could drill into to make a nest. Why he's got to bother us, I don't know. But I don't wish him ill. But as far as I'm concerned, yeah, he's escalated. So the biggest, <laughs> baddest ass super soaker that I could find on Amazon <laughs> with two-day delivery will be here day after tomorrow. Good. <laughs> we, are, we have reached the point of mutually assured destruction. I will show him fear. <laughs> <laughs> via lukewarm tap water. Nice. <laughs> I'll be out on the front yard with a full super soaker and a case of beer. Hi, neighbors. <laughs> it's like your dad's fantasy about the chipmunks. <laughs> oh, God. No, my dad's fantasy about the chipmunks is that they'll eat the poison he leaves out for the chipmunks. How do you know that involved a BB gun or something? <laughs> well, I mean, there's always the Rambo fantasy, but... <laughs> My father is a pragmatic man, and he just figures if the police show up, oh, no, I accidentally dropped rat poison all around my house. I tripped. Oops. I tripped and dropped rat bait all around the house, and now the chipmunks are dead. Oh, no. Now my lawn is intact, and everybody's happy. <laughs> Nothing has chewed through my cables. So that's one thing I learned from my dad. I'm not as good a liar. Apparently, I'll just blast the thing with a squirt gun. There you go. That's that's been the week here at the Crisis on Infinite Midlife's home office. I see you and bitchy woodpeckers. <laughs> so I've been distracted as hell. So uh, this week I, I all but begged Amanda with tears in my. Can you run, produce the show? Run it? Could you do something that we could talk about? Please, I can't. I I can barely get through the goddamn day. We're going to be low on dick jokes on this show because I, <laughs> I haven't had time to write any. So, and she was, when we had a, a perfect storm moment where the paperback edition of Anthony Bourdain's uh, sequel to Get Jiro, Get Jiro Blood and Sushi, uh, dropped in comic stores this past week. It did, it did, and uh, we talked about it uh, over many fine alcoholic beverages at the local tequila bar. 
<laughs> yes, we did. Now, uh, Amanda is, would you call yourself a foodie? Uh, you, yeah, sure, why not? I um, mean, it's the most ridiculous. All right, all right furries is more ridiculous. But, <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> Christ, we're going to get emails. Stop it. it. It is one of the more ridiculous fan names for a fandom. But yeah, I suppose you could say I'm a foodie. I'll just, I'll own it. <laughs> I mean, you will. Ask me about my foodie agenda. <laughs> <laughs> you will watch uh, cooking shows in front of your computer so that at commercials you can pivot 90 degrees to read food blogs. Yeah. Uh, and switch back and forth with food message boards. Yes. God knows I- I'm not the grotesque weight I am today because you cook like shit. <laughs> so. <laughs> I, I have also been known to dial up cooking programs in languages I can't understand on YouTube just so that I can watch interesting food happen in other countries. I'll wake up drunk on the couch where I've passed out at two in the morning and Amanda will be gleefully cycling through. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's some show where <laughs> it's it's from Japan. Go figure. <laughs> I don't even know. What, I forget what it's called. It's Dochi no Ryori. Yeah, it's a, they take all these people and they starve them for a day <laughs> and cook in front of them. Yes. Because putting cigarettes out on them is still illegal in Japan, I guess. And then, yes, they have to vote for... And it, there's two teams, and each team is yes. behind one of the people cooking. Yeah, there's the red team and the yellow team, and they each will showcase a, a particular style of food. So it'll be like some sort of rice bowl with sashimi versus a cold noodle bowl with seafood. Like... And then within the context of that, here's the really cool, super secret ingredient that we're going to highlight that is you know, in- incredibly rare or expensive or both, or has to be found um, up five mountains and over to the left. <laughs> and, <laughs> okay. Or, or, you know, it lives at the bottom of the ocean, maybe if the Kraken hasn't eaten it. And, <laughs> and then it comes back and forth like, well, you know, I'm not sure that I really like that style of food, but I really want to try that ingredient. You know, and and it would, they just go back and forth until finally people vote. And if you're on the losing team, you have to stand there and watch the winning team eat. Yeah, so you haven't eaten all day. <laughs> and if you choose poorly, <laughs> you have to starve even further. Yeah, and in some of the early ones, they would then at the end show the, the losing chef sitting in like the basement eating his own food by himself. What a bunch of a-holes. <laughs> Sounds, and yeah, I'll wake up to this at two in the morning. Sometimes subtitled, sometimes not. Just sometimes yeah. people... <laughs> Shrieking in a foreign language that can't be interpreted, pointing at yeah wads of fish heads, or it's it's not family entertainment. <laughs> it's it's not for your average American or I would imagine even European. Uh, I find uh, when it comes on, I go to bed. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Understandable. <laughs> I, I would rather go to a meal of for a ten dollar all you can eat testicle fest. Then, oh, would you now? No, actually, that's not true. That's that's bullshit. But so yeah, you you are uh, a member of the the foodie, yeah tribe. Um, yeah, and and I think you know the cool thing about it, as with any fandom, is that there's a whole spectrum of individuals. It, I mean, ultimately, there's gonna be some curmudgeons. For so all you're, the- you're saying foodies are on the spectrum? I see, <laughs> dick. <laughs> <laughs> No, what I'm saying is like there there's a a group of individuals for whom food is fuel and will never be interested in eating beyond I don't want to die. But then Hi, I'm Rob. <laughs> nice to meet you. Member of that tribe. There are others who, you know, have have loves for particular individual things 
could even be boxed blue mac and cheese. <laughs> Hi, I'm Rob. <laughs> Actually, I prefer the Velveeta shit. Yeah, okay, that's, see? That, that's good loving. All right. That soaks up alcohol so I don't die. <laughs> But then, you know, there are those that just love cooking and food in general. There are those that love particular cuisines. There are those that, like, challenge themselves with, you know, very intricate recipes. And tackling that makes them feel as good as it might make somebody else if they disassembled and reassembled their car. I don't understand them. They don't understand us. But that's okay. That's fine. (laughs) Live and let live. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But, you know, that's just it. There's there's a place for everybody in there. And uh, one of the things I noticed as we were sitting at the bar... And I was drinking a mezcal flight, as one might. <laughs> yeah, it was a hell of a night. And, and they brought it out. They've really upped their game because you know now they've they brought in a a chef for this particular place that's into like indigenous foods. So, they, uh, if I could just intervene really quick before people say, "How could you be at a tequila bar with your brother in that condition?" We were celebrating. That was the first phone call I got from my mom saying his pee is a regular color. We were celebrating. It had yeah. been a long fucking week. Been a long week. So anyway, you were drinking mezcal after the pee story. Go ahead. Yeah, and and now as um, a bar snack to go with the mezcal, they'll give you a, a pile of crispy grasshopper. Yeah, they were awful. <laughs> that was a bad choice. I liked them. <laughs> I, I liked them. I, to be fair, I ate a bug. You did? I ate the goddamn bug, and then I poured most <laughs> of a fucking Dos Equis Amber on top of it. But as, I, as I'm doing this, you know, a couple seats over from us was somebody's mom or girlfriend or mother or somebody I drinking her Pinot Grigio with a glass full of ice on the side because she likes her wine really cold. Now, there are some... Short samples. Short samples. Sorry. That's just, I mean, if you if you were to pose the that scenario to some internet forums about food, the individual would be excoriated because, you know, why would you do that? You have to serve it at a particular temperature because, you know... You're you're missing the nuances of the wine. It's a six dollar bottle of Pinot Grigio, and we were, and we were eating bugs. <laughs> and we were eating bugs. Tangy grasshoppers would, are tangy. If you're wondering, I would say that woman and I uh, both had an equally good time, from what I remember of the evening. <laughs> you both seemed happy. <laughs> I'm not going to judge her. <laughs> I, I she ate, might have been judging me. I was eating a pile of grasshoppers. I, I ate a bug. I feel really <laughs> bad about me. But there, there's room for both of us at the bar, is my point. You know, <laughs> This is very true. Okay. So, you know, it, and, where, where am I going with this? Well, <laughs> let's, let's do some additional context. You've been a fan of Anthony Bourdain for a very long time. Yes. Uh, now, where did it start? Did it start from Kitchen Confidential? No, I... I Came across him, actually, it was one of the first couple of nights you and I were hanging out after we'd gotten together officially. It was about 15 (laughs) years ago. Yeah. And on the Food Network, there was a program uh, that he was on um, a cook's tour. Right. And it was the thing that sort of broke him on TV. I mean, he got the gig because he wrote Kitchen Confidential, and so people liked his writing style and his brusque New Yorker way of talking about food and... It was fear and loathing in a restaurant. It was. He very much wants to be, and I have no moral high ground on this, he <laughs> wants to be Hunter S. Thompson yeah. when he grows up. So he took the show on the road and did a did a tour of, of countries in a half-hour format and, you know, was was filmed eating a live Cobra Heart, and then he became huge <laughs> for Cobra, foodies. Cobra Heart makes you strong. Yes. <laughs> what doesn't kill you makes you strong. Somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. <laughs> but, you know... 
I'm 15 years younger me. Yeah, I was down with that. Oh, yeah, go out there. You know, explore the cuisine. Be snarky about shit. Yeah. <laughs> Why not? Yeah. I mean, and I read the companion book that went with it, and I, I, I read, finally read Kitchen Confidential, and I was fully on board. Like, yeah, this guy's cool. All right. And at the time, even uh, before the Food Network shut down their fan forums, in part because a group of us um, thought that Sandra Lee is the Antichrist. <laughs> you're, you're talking to comics people right now. San, yeah. Sandra Lee's whole gimmick, if I remember correctly, from shoulder surfing, you watching TV, is uh, her recipes in air quotes are usually half like, okay, open this can. If if that. One time she had a thing where she had a box of puff, puff pastry that she cooked, and rather than getting even a can of, of apple pie filling, she bought an apple pie took the top crust off, cannibalized the insides, and put it with Cool Whip into her puff pastry. <laughs> because she could, and why wouldn't you? Well, can openers <laughs> hard on the wrist? <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, she, she made a, a cake that she said was for Kwanzaa that she put corn nuts on. I mean, again, I'm, I'm going against what I was saying. Like, you know, there's room for all of us. At the time, I didn't feel that way. <laughs> <laughs> and and uh, we we caused havoc on the Food Network boards and they eventually shut down the forum because moderating us was a pain in the ass. So, <laughs> okay. But before that happened, uh, Anthony Bourdain would actually log into the One for a Cook's tour and interact with fans occasionally and he was cool. <laughs> so it was, it was an, a neat opportunity to interact with him. And as I've gotten over, older over time, I've still enjoyed his programming, but I, I'm also getting to a point with some of the writing and how how there's a certain level of okay, this is how food needs to be respected and enjoyed. And if you can't do that or can't understand why you should do that and come around to my point of view, then fuck you, this isn't for you. And that comes back to gatekeeping and it bothers me. <laughs> okay. Which, that, that's as good a way to move into talking about Get Jiro and Get Jiro Blood and Sushi. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, you grabbed the first Get Jiro as soon as it came out. Yeah, I have the hardcover. And we did go to see, it's uh, that was 2012? Yes. And, uh, yeah, that year at San Diego Comic-Con, my God, Vertigo Comics, they trotted Bourdain out at every panel that they could think of. Oh, my of. God. Anything remotely that they could pull him out for. I'm surprised they didn't drop him into the fucking Batman panel. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and we saw most of them. We did. And, we uh, did. Yeah, he clearly seemed engaged and psyched that his you know, little graphic novel was was coming out and getting some attention. But it was also very much symbiotic in that, yeah, Vertigo said, look, we got this guy on TV. <laughs> <laughs> the guy on the TV, he's writing a book for us. <laughs> look. <laughs> and through the whole time, I was actually thinking, this is a this is a one-hit wonder. This is a one-shot thing. Because the one other time we saw something like that where they trotted out a celebrity who wrote a comic was when, this is probably 2007, <laughs> they trotted out Scott Ian from Anthrax. Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he was doing uh, a Lobo right. uh, limited series of two issues. And Bob Shrek, I think it was, was like, don't worry, you'll see Mr. Ian here again. Never no. saw, never came back. <laughs> I was sure it was going to be the same with Bourdain. So I was kind of surprised when the, the sequel came out. But with the sequel, you didn't jump on that. We didn't get it. I picked it up. Yeah. Uh, frankly, at, at the comic store uh, this week, sort of half distracted, again, waiting for my phone to ring. <laughs> so, oh, Amanda likes this. And I don't know. Did you have any intention of buying it? Uh, maybe eventually. Because, I mean, when the first book came out, that was, I think, 
the thing that solidified for me a, a, a real concern about the message he was projecting to people who are supposed to be his demographic and his fan base. Because the message in the first book was, you know, if you can't appreciate this particular food and this particular culture, then it is right and good that we should chop your head off. (laughs) You who are food tourists who are merely surfing through here, who can't appreciate the hard work and the skill and the legacy of this food. And motherfucker, the food tourists are there (laughs) because you wrote the fucking book. (laughs) And you would turn around and backhand them like that. <laughs> well, it's a, it, if you haven't read Get Jiro, um, number one, if you've seen Fistful of Dollars, you, you've read Get Jiro. <laughs> um, but number two, yeah, yeah the, is it the opening scene in the book? Yeah, our hero has a strip mall sushi joint. Yes. And three stereotypical ugly Americans bros. come in. Yeah, and one of them puts his uh, nigiri... Uh, which is the see the problem is that this is a, a comics uh, podcast. It's a, it's a I'm kind not of, sure. It's I'm, a kind of sushi you've seen it. It looks like like a ball of rice or a, a rectangle of rice, and then they put a slice of fish on top. Okay, yes. Um, so yeah, people dropping it into their soy sauce and rice gets everywhere, and then one of them asks for a California roll, and Jiro decapitates him as one does. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yes, the the concept of gatekeeper into your particular fandom is how this book starts. And I get it to a, to a certain degree. I do. I do. I, I own Jiro Dreams of Sushi, which is like the really cool documentary about the guy who's got a, a, a sushi bar in a, tra- in, in a train station, basically. Yeah, completely unrelated to Get Jiro. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I have been out with um, my mother... And not that she did anything embarrassing, but... Oh, wait, it's a family story. <laughs> no, there was a, a similar strip mall sushi okay. place down down the street from where she used to live. And I, we would go there because it was convenient. And you could get bombed on sake and walk home. Convenient. <laughs> Very and convenient for us. So, you know, when this is out in a somewhat more rural st- section of this state, <laughs> right. which isn't hard to do once you get west of 495, which is a, a highway. Um, <laughs> yeah. It's for those a, of you that don't know Massachusetts, it's okay. It's, just, it's, it's west. Yeah, and, <laughs> if you're not familiar with Massachusetts, there is a highway 95 that cuts through the eastern half of uh, Massachusetts. And that's where uh, Boston is. Yes. And if you go appreciably west of that by about 10 miles, it could be farmland. Yeah. So. Yeah. So I'm with her at this out in the middle of, you know, the state sushi bar and, you know, we're enjoying the sushi. I'm watching other people come up and yeah, they're asking for California roll. They're looking for the sushi to be a vehicle to get some sort of condiment to their face and it's their right to do so. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I never ate sushi until I met you. And you know, being a, a sensitive soul, the first fucking thing you ordered for me <laughs> was it wasn't even sushi. You ordered me slabs of fucking raw octopus tentacle. It was cooked. It was cooked. It was <laughs> prove it. <laughs> it wasn't moving. Uh, okay, that's fine. But certainly, let me say for the record, that was in two thousand one. Today is the <laughs> first time you've ever told me that was cooked because I never ordered it again. <laughs> so. <laughs> So you don't exactly drop people in on the shallow end yourself. I don't. I so. don't. 
but again, I was younger and, and more arrogant about what I thought was good. Well, it's, and, and <laughs> the sad thing is the flip side of that is I had some stuff that I liked, but for a long time, yeah, when we would go out for sushi, and up to a point I still do this. It's a, I, I like sushi, but I'm not, you know, uh, it's not a religion for me. It's, yeah, this is pretty good food. Sometimes you're in the mood for it, and I'm not, and I'll be like, yeah, you know what? Give me the gaijin roll. Give me smoked salmon and cream cheese. Give me the thing that tastes like... Uh, a, a clam fritter from uh, Rhode Island, because uh, being in this area, that's some of the gimmick stuff that yeah. they do. And honestly, it's not that difficult to make. I mean, it's it's not like Michelin star sushi, but it's not that hard to make sushi at home. If you can make tacos, you can make sushi, or at least sushi rolls. Oh, and one of my favorites is white tuna. And you yeah. got that for me for my birthday once. You, <laughs> you internet ordered a pound of white tuna. And there was no way it was going to last beyond... I've never eaten more goddamn white tuna in my life. The <laughs> fact that I still like white tuna is a testament to it's a good fish and your preparation of it in three or four different ways. By the end, we had to chuck like a quarter pound of it out. I felt bad. I should have. Yeah, I couldn't eat anymore. <laughs> but it, no. But where I was going with this is, you know, for for those that would poo poo, you know, Philadelphia roll, which is the the cream cheese and smoked salmon kind of thing. You can spend seven dollars and make a shit ton of those and feed your family, or you can buy McDonald's. It's all a question of what you want to do with your $7 and what you value. Exactly. And, and whether or not you want to pass judgment on that value, well, that's, that's your thing. <laughs> right. So, yes, yeah, so Bourdain opens his book with uh, chopping up people uh, like me who like the Gaijin Roll. <laughs> <laughs> the Gaijin Roll is a possible title to this show, I think. <laughs> Give me, a, give me a pad of paper. Okay. I'll keep track of titles. Okay. All right. Uh, so, I mean, this is a, a, a cool time in comics because I think now more than ever, there's a lot more um, diversity in terms of the types of stories you're likely to encounter at your local comic book store. It's not all capes and cowls anymore. There, you know, there's a wide range of mystery stories. There's, you know, niche stuff. Like if you want like books about the MMA world, like if you're into mixed martial arts, there's books out there. <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. Um, you know, <laughs> if, if you are a brony, or if you are into you know the My Little Pony fandom in general, there's the My Little Pony books. He was wrong and you knew it! All kinds of space operas out there. There's Southern Gothic things out there. And, and yeah, now there's at least four books that come to mind if you're into food, um, you know, ranging in terms of seriousness. There's, you know, Bourdain's books. Right. There's... Um, Chew, which is, you know, food-related, but also more of a mystery, and it's whimsical. And I meant to grab some of those trades. I think it's Robert Lehman, and uh, I forget his collaborator on it. But, yeah. We'll have it in the show notes. (laughs) (laughs) Think I'm going to be able to go upstairs? I'm thinking, fine, Berkshire Brewing Company, (laughs) just to get through the show. There's... um there was Marvel's attempt to answer to have DC having Bourdain. They got Chris Cosentino to write a, a Wolverine one shot. Oh my fucking god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then <laughs> it's a, what was that even called? Because we were I reviewed that when it came out when we were still a print website. Um, um, the final cut or some goddamn Wolverine gets stuffed. I don't know. It's <laughs> <laughs> and another one. <laughs> it was. It was. Um, it was a book. And and uh, Brian Wood came out with the Starve series over the last year or so, which I really enjoyed. So it's it's been cool for me to watch, to a certain degree, my my two fandoms intersect. And some of it has been you know really good chocolate and peanut butter kind of thing, um, like Starve. And some of it is more of a mm, 
This kind of looks like chocolate. I'm going to put this carob with this almond butter, but to uh, fancy it up, I'm going to pour truffle oil all over it. That would be the Costantino book. And <laughs> I will kill you. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I can't eat anymore. <laughs> like, ever. <laughs> I feed you through a tube. <laughs> That's to say that being with Amanda, I get exposed to certain foodie trends, and one of them is truffle oil. <laughs> <laughs> Which should be illegal under the Geneva Convention. It really should. It, truffle oil does nothing but make everything it touches smell like a foot. It's just <laughs> terrible. It's awful stuff. If you like, <laughs> if you like truffle oil, you're bad, and you should feel bad. All right. Well, I, this is a good place to seg here because I'm I'm firmly. We in don't seg well here, but no. all right, go with it. I'm firmly in the fandom. Like, and I've been firmly in the fandom for most of my life. Oh, I know. I know. And believe me, it serves me well. And among the things that, and I think this actually speaks to, for somebody who who has not been in the fandom and who had difficulty sort of understanding my interest in it, I was not kind to you in a variety of ways when we first got together. I, I dragged you to your first high-end dining experience before you were ready or prepared to deal with that sort of thing. And how off-putting that world can be to somebody who's not, part of it or ready for it or understanding or interested in understanding. I'm looking for a sound effect and I can't find one <laughs> fucking strong enough. For, for Please feel free to talk about that experience because it was... Well, because I think it, this... It wound up being... It's a good story. Well, it I wasn't think, a good night. No, but I think this speaks to whenever people talk about it, I went into the comic book store and, and I didn't feel welcome. Because X, Y, Z, people didn't want to help me. I, okay. Right? <laughs> people didn't want to make this accessible for me. We went to a, a now-closed high-end French restaurant in a very well-known hotel in Boston for an occasion. I outlived it, is, is, <laughs> is my takeaway from this. <clears throat> Rob had to wear a suit and tie. <laughs> Which I'm not good at. <laughs> Um, and I put the reservations in, and so they were under my last name. And so we showed up, and the first thing that happened was we're in this swanky place, and and it, we know we're not supposed to be there. I mean, oh god, no! <laughs> and and so you get the eyes on you anyway. And we walk into the the lobby of the restaurant, and the first thing that happens is the the host greets us with "Hello, Mister and Mrs." Insert my last name, which is not Rob's last name, <laughs> which yeah. put him on put him on his heels. Yeah, so number one, uh, I'm <laughs> I'm married and the woman. <laughs> that didn't truck well with me at 31 years old. Yeah. Um, and they usher us in, and it's the kind of place where there's like these big banquet seats and a shit ton of mirrors, and they make you sit next to each other in the banquet because you want to see the theater happening on the floor rather than talk to each other. You know, that's not awkward. <laughs> oh, God, not at all. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a terrible and PTSD. Fl- That's probably more of an acid flashback. But either way, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> and as we're sitting there, um, we you know, trying to look at the the wine and beer list. Um, a guy comes over, one of the waiters, and says, um, "The chef would like to offer you an amuse bouche <laughs> before you start your meal." And he like leaves it and these these tiny little eggplant roll up things and and you turn to me and you say did he just call me a douche <laughs> this, this is the truth this happened <laughs> and as we're recovering from that and getting ready to, to put eggplant in our faces because it, it's, it's like a nine o'clock seating too so we're fucking starving yeah oh god yeah <laughs> uh and then like the sommelier and it's one of those places that actually has its own like waiter who chooses wines for you comes up and is is like you know 
have you decided what you would like to drink? And I'm trying to find something that costs less than $50 a bottle. And (laughs) and I'm trying not to say, where's my whiskey funnel? (laughs) Which you probably just should have done. I Uh, should have. Oh, Go ahead. So this is all God's truth, by the way. This all this all happened. I'm fairly certain I ordered a whiskey. I'm pretty sure I did. <laughs> but I remember you just sort of blurting out Merlot, and you're a beer guy. But you felt like just so under the gun to to want to fit in. You I, just blurted Merlot. Uh, yeah, I'm, I didn't see a beer list, and I didn't want to be one of those people. It's like, all right, well, I'm off my turf here, but I don't want to stick out. Yeah, you know, I don't. I don't want to be like you know slobs versus snobs i'm not bill murray i'm not fucking rodney dangerfield i want to have a nice meal with my girl who cares about this shit but it's like if you point a gun at my face and ask me to name a vineyard i got two mad dog 2020 and boons <laughs> and i don't think they were on the list they, they were not so i said merlot and the guy and i make eye contact and immediately he sized me up <laughs> as a rube and for all i know he brought me a 900 glass of for all i know he brought me welch's grape juice that he dipped his balls in but he knew he could do anything he fucking wanted to me and he did go on amanda so then we put in our orders um they were like three courses and the first course arrived after some time amanda and i got different tasting menus yes so i could not take cues from what she was doing so, this is an important part yes as my shame deepens and again we're sitting side by side so I've got my shit in front of me, and he is off to the side. So I have to physically turn my body to see what's going on over there. Right. And so... <laughs> what I'm doing is crying. <laughs> but anyway. So as things play out, the, they bring out those courses, the first courses, and mine is a soup, and there's theater with it. It's got little tiny diced up precious fucking pieces of vegetable in the bottom of a very white bowl, and there's a creamy soup that they want to pour table side so you can watch you know, as, as the creamy soup envelops the tiny vegetables, and and you know, you've been waiting forever to eat, so it doesn't really matter if it tastes like Campbell's cream of mushroom. <laughs> You're going to eat it and think it's awesome. Yeah, so, so she gets a Tarina soup. I get an, it wasn't even a full-size oyster. It was a it was tiny like, oyster. Yeah, it, it was like, yeah, the, the runt oyster. <laughs> the, you know, the peewee oyster, the Rudy of oysters. He's never going to be. The walla walla runt. Yeah, he's never going to be on the starting <laughs> line. He's always going to be on the bench. Yeah. So I get that, and there's like four dots of caviar on it. So it's it's the size of a half dollar. Yeah. So we're both starving. Amanda gets a terrine. It's not really a terrine. It was just a big bowl. She gets a big bowl. And yeah, I get this oyster that is just sitting gently on a pile of salt. Rock salt to keep it stable. Yes. But, okay. However, I am simply presented with a plate with some shit on it. <laughs> That's all that I know. I'm hungry. Please continue, Amanda. <laughs> so I take a couple bites of my soup, and Rob slurps his oyster down. And then the next thing I know, I, I hear this sputtering. Because Rob, unbeknownst to me, because I can't see him, has taken a giant mouthful of, of rock salt from it, the plate. I thought it was rice. With God as my witness, I thought it had to be rice. Because there was more of the fucking salt on the plate than oysters. Why would you put something on the plate that I'm not supposed to fucking eat at <laughs> 9 o'clock at fucking night? Why would you do that? And that was exactly the conversation that we had in somewhat more dulcet tones because it was a nice restaurant. I- <laughs> 
had a teaspoon of fucking rock salt. So Rob then proceeds to chug down what remained of the Merlot. (laughs) If you've ever wanted to uh, know what accompanies a a fine Merlot of unknown vintage and uh, label, let me tell you, it's not fucking rock salt. So yeah, after that point, really the rest of the evening was a blur because it was ruined. And not because of anything Rob did. It was because I, as the person who set this up, didn't know how to best help him negotiate the situation. And it was a situation he felt uncomfortable in to begin with. <laughs> and from there also, just the, the atmosphere and tenor of the restaurant is such that they figured that their audience was choosing to be there. There was no way to transition novices into the experience, nor did they feel that there needed to be. If you were there, it's because you were self-selecting to be there. Yes. It's the the best analogy that jumps to my head after two beers just now is, uh, <laughs> yeah, if you brought somebody into a comic store because, uh, oh, they liked Walking Dead and just turned them loose. <laughs> and they turned it's like, what's hente? I don't know. Go look. <laughs> <laughs> Mommy? Yeah. <laughs> Let me show you this Howard Chaikin book. <laughs> I'm a nasty piece of work. Ask anybody. <laughs> so for while I, I do understand and have been the person who has been outraged at the person who doesn't respect the food experience, being with you has helped me to understand that if you want to bring somebody along, you have to meet them where they're at. Yes. And and kind of work from there. And also, not be heartbroken and offended if there are places they don't want to go. <laughs> we never went back. We never went back. But I, I think... I believe the night I heard they were closing, I said, I want to order a pizza. <laughs> <laughs> you may very well have, and, and I, I deserve that. <laughs> and you, you accommodated me, <laughs> and we all moved on with our lives. We all moved on with our lives. But again, going back to the opening scene from um, the first Get Jiro book, like, okay, I, I get it. You're, you want people to appreciate what you're doing. But at the same time, if you really want to bring the community in, if you really want to help them understand what you do, then you need to meet them where they're at. Yes. And in neither of these books did I ever get a sense that Bourdain cared about that and this is and he is someone who in published reports is on record as saying after he retires from television he wants to teach <laughs> <laughs> shut up and eat it <laughs> you don't get it get out like okay so i'm 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 just saying that i i have some difficulty um empathizing with him if he's not willing to empathize with a fandom that may not, may need some help getting there if they've come in as food tourists, particularly if they've come in because they've been watching his programming or reading his books. Yeah, one thing at, at every panel we saw him in in 2012 that struck me was at each one, somebody said, where would you recommend you eat in San Diego? And at each one, he said, go to Mexico. Yeah. <laughs> like, Fuck you, Jack. <laughs> yeah. I can, there are many places in this world I could go to be abducted. I don't need to do it in uh, in exchange for a taco. <laughs> yeah. Um, so in any event, <laughs> let's let's talk. Actually, um, you know what? It would be good. I think it would be good, given that when Bourdain started to to write these books, and we saw him in um, 2012, we have a sound clip from. 
the panel that we went to where he was talking about this, about how he was trying to be sensitive to the fact that he he was coming into a fandom from the foodie fandom. Yeah, and by the way, all this audio is from, uh, yeah, we took a lot of videos of the panels he was in. You can find a bunch of them on our uh, our YouTube channel, which uh, there's a link to it on our main website, ChristSignInfiniteMidLives.com. So, all right, so you want to do the uh, the Loves Comics one? Yeah. Okay. So, here we go. It's about 30 seconds. I considered coming, coming here. I was thinking uh, that, I, you know, a lot of celebrities slap their name uh, thoughtlessly on product and, and, and expect to get some love. You know, we worked really hard on this. This was, you know, I, I go way back with my love of comics and, uh, you know, yeah, people take their foodies, take their food seriously and the community take their, their, you know, this is a serious uh, and, and storied uh, art form. Uh, yeah, I, I was afraid that uh, I'd be approached by a bunch of hostile people looking at me as an interloper. Now, he was most decidedly not treated as an interloper. Oh, no. no. It's, it's some weird gene in, <laughs> in the comic fans, uh, deep in their DNA, that, oh, somebody from established media loves us. We're and legit. I, and I firmly believe that's why there's a line outside Hall H every year. It's a it's movie stars. And one of the things that was always, are you a fan of comics for all these movie stars who are in these movie properties? And they always have to say yes. Yeah. it's. I'd respect one more being like, I never read a fucking comic book in my life. I was getting laid. Look at me. I'm an actor in, or an actress in Hollywood. I can get laid. That, that was my priority, not reading comic books. He did make a point, actually, in one of the, the early um a cook store shows when he goes back to visit a place in France where he would spend summers as a child talking about reading Tintin comics. I mean, sure, but yeah, everything I've seen is, yeah, he liked Tintin comics as a kid and liked uh, Arkham, uh, sure, hippie uh, underground comics, which is fine. And Harvey Picar. Yeah, which is the, the same publishing house, I think. Yeah. Which is all absolutely fine. That's absolutely valid comics. It's it's not comics that gets a lot of play at San Diego, so that's not necessarily the crowd that you're talking to when you say I love comics no, but at a Vertigo panel. <laughs> it is it is a comic and he did enjoy them. So yeah. all right. That's absolutely valid stuff. Yeah. That's another hole in my comics education. I still gotta get all those E C books. And then I, maybe I'll pivot to Arkham books. And I get wanting to be sensitive and not seen as an as an interloper. It, it can be jarring. Um one of the weird things that came out of the whole like Cosentino Wolverine thing. He, he was asked to write that by C.B. Sibolsky because C.B. Sibolsky at that time was uh, frequenting Cosentino's restaurant. Okay. And, um, Sibolsky is a foodie. <laughs> right. So from there, it feels like Sibolsky, because he also started a blog, Itaku or something like that, now is doing some food what? writing in what? addition to um, his responsibilities with Marvel. So when I, it's jarring in a way. It's like it, we talk about chocolate, your chocolates and my peanut butter. <laughs> like I'll yeah. be on like a f- something like luckypeach.com and I'll, I'll see a, a review for a ramen place in Japan and the byline will be Sibulski's and I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's competently written, but it's, it's, it's about as jarring as finding like Frank Miller's name on a Micronauts book, and, <laughs> which happened, which happened. What, in did he 19- do a cover? He did <laughs> for issue 31 in 1981. Very nice. <laughs> I could see that. I, I think he did a couple ROM space nights, Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I could see that. But still, it's like, oh, what? <laughs> it's uh, hey, look, fandom is weird. This, <laughs> no matter what gig you've got, there's some miracle gig you wish you had. So, you know, I think it's it's 
probably been a very um, happy experience for Bourdain that he's been able to marry his loves of food and Japanese culture and his love for various cinema that he was able to bring into writing this. Um, This particular new book seems to be framed very much around exploring Yakuza culture, (laughs) Uh, (laughs) at least as, as it comes across cinematically. Yeah, it's uh, the original Get Jiro was very much rooted in kind of a well. Number one, I said fistful of dollars. Yeah, it was or, fistful of dollars. Yeah, it's you know the lone Ronin comes in and plays both ends against the middle to come out ahead mm-hmm. to advance his own agenda. It's been told, yeah, fistful of dollars is a, I go to because I'm an Eastwood fan. But what was it Yojimbo or something was the original Seven Samurai? Maybe uh, no Seven no. Samurai gave us Magnificent, Magnificent Seven. Seven. Uh, it might be a Jimbo. It's yeah. it's one of those on my list of things to dial up on the TiVo if it ever shows up. Friend of the show, Trebuchet, I'm sure will will correct us. Uh, I'm sure <laughs> he'll probably be at the door kicking it down before we finish taping. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, despite the fact that yes, okay, it's a that kind of story. It was also based in kind of a science fiction. It is a near future dystopia, yes. which let's face it, it sells in the 21st century. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, we've got the inner rings where the rich people are and the outer rings. And yet uh, all somehow national sporting events and uh, ways of uh, entertaining ourselves have collapsed except for foodie culture, which I suppose you can sort of extrapolate out. Uh, all right. If everything else were to go away, everybody got to eat. Right. Uh, but that's also... Where where the source of power comes from because everybody get to eat. Yeah, but it's it's a science fiction story, it's sort of at its core. Science fiction stacked on top of samurai movie, stacked on top of Clint Eastwood western. Yes, uh, but the, the entire thing doesn't exist without this near future dystopia of somehow the NFL went bankrupt, <laughs> <laughs> which <laughs> apparently uh, too many people took a knee. <laughs> people stopped watching. I guess. Uh, and started watching Beat Bobby Flay, I guess. <laughs> uh, sure. <laughs> with a pipe wrench. <laughs> Beat Bobby Flay with a pipe. I would watch that tomorrow. <laughs> I would set the entire TiVo to only get that. There is almost none of that in uh, the prequel, Blood right. and Sushi. And it, it is a prequel. It is a prequel. He, he, Bourdain is on record saying that he felt like with Get Jiro, he had told everything that he wanted to say about Jiro in the present time or present time for the purposes of the book. So let's explore how he got there. So the new book pulls a little bit from things like Ichi the Killer and a lot from The Godfather. <laughs> yeah, uh, certainly up to a point. I did notice there's the it's a mob story and younger son who doesn't want any part of the family business. They try to drag him into it and older son feels he's being passed over does unspeakable things to betray, well, in this case, his father. And so there's enough Godfather elements in there. It's like, all right, I I get what you're laying down here. Yeah. And and in that, um, Jiro has been keeping secret from his family that he's been training under a master sushi chef because that's where his passion lies. And that's not what his father wants him to do because his father feels that going into the, uh, the food industry is going into a life of service and they are bosses who run the city and why would you downgrade yourself? With that in mind, I found... I understand where his father's coming from. I don't understand where Jiro's coming from. Most of this book, he's making rice. 
whenever I have to make rice from scratch by myself, it's like a crime against nature. It's like, what have I done to anger the gods? That's why I kind of, I bought you the kind you could just nuke in the microwave. It lives in the freezer. I know, but even that, that makes me feel like a wuss. I should be able to do 20 minutes of rice, but it's like, I gotta wait 20 minutes for fucking rice? It's rice. I don't, nobody gives a shit about rice. Rice goes with stuff. Well, let's see, that's at the core of this book. It's about rice. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to soak up enough booze so I can go to work tomorrow. That's all I want to do. So, Jiro, it, we compared it to that um, Monty Python and the Holy Grail thing with the, the kid who doesn't want <laughs> to be king. Oh. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean this thing? But I don't want any of that. I'd rather... Rather what? I'd rather just Stop that, stop that. You're not going into a song while I'm here. <laughs> Except it's it's hard to make rice that dramatic. <laughs> we'll say, though, that as drawn in this book, Jiro's girlfriend does have huge tracts of land. <laughs> uh, that's right, his, his Italian girlfriend. Half Italian. Yeah, because he wrote Half this loop. when, uh, Bourdain wrote this when he was married to an, an Italian woman. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Right where you know, kid. Right where you know. <laughs> I, and then stop. And then stop. <laughs> I mean, so as I'm reading the book, it was interesting to get Jiro's backstory, but I also felt as though the book was full of a lot of exposition uh, rather than um, showing me things. I I was being told things. And uh, for example, there's a a moment in the book where Jiro's girlfriend explicitly talks about the similarities between Japanese food and Italian food. Like blow for blow rather than, you know, maybe people could have a couple of panels watching people eat or <laughs> describing their reactions to what they're eating. Yes, or... I, and I believe that this is the quote. For a $10 all-you-can-eat <laughs> testicle fest. But it, it, it speaks to, I mean, as part of the panel at San Diego Comic-Con, uh, Bourdain talked about how sushi is misunderstood. So he takes... That platform, you want to play the clip? <laughs> uh, yeah, sure. And this is the same kind of gatekeeper stuff yeah. that you were talking about. Uh, but this is directly from, from the man's mouth. No, no cuisine in, in America is both so popular and at the same time so terribly misunderstood. Cheeseburgers. Anytime you hear anyone say, oh, that sushi, it was so fresh. The fish was so fresh. They completely missed the point already. Um, the best sushi is not the freshest sushi. Sushi is about the rice as much as it's about the fish. So all of those things, which you can tell already, I clearly feel strongly about. It. <laughs> so there was never any any doubt. <laughs> yeah, it's not about the fresh. Serve me the garbage rotten fish, but as long as the rice is nice and vinegary, well, no. When I hork it out through my nose at two in the morning, I'll get a nice fresh vinegar flavor. What he's getting at is apparently. It's best to to rest the fish for a few days, let it get out of rigor mortis, and let it you know cure and develop some flavor. But you don't want to tell people that because fish is supposed to be fresh. But if you don't know that, if you don't have that context for comprehension, then yeah, you're going to say, oh, this tasted really fresh. But he's basically saying if you don't know that and you don't have that context for comprehension, you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Rather than working with people to get them to understand, <laughs> it's it, it is very clear. He said, uh, 
you sent me some interview that he did with uh, it was a food, food and wine, wine magazine. magazine as part of the the media blitz for the hardcover version when this book came out. Man, if comic books make it to food and wine, it certainly is a media blitz of some form or sort. An effective one is a whole different question. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he said. Yeah, he was at some sushi place with a chef that he respected. And yes, some American gaijin was putting wasabi in his soy sauce. And the chef was saying, oh no, the the fish is seasoned well. Well, The first thing I think anybody ever said was uh, this green paste, don't eat it because your head will explode. (laughs) But you take some of it and you put it in your soy sauce. Yeah. that's what I was taught to do. That's what I was taught to do by you, mm-hmm. and you are one of the people who knows how these things work. Yeah, I mean, what has happened in terms of the shift of of food culture with sushi in the United States, anyway, over time, is people have gotten away from make a slurry <laughs> and dip the fish, and it's more put the wasabi on the fish and then dip it in the soy if you feel it, you need it. But they're hoping that. You'll try the food before you smother it in a sauce. It's it's like the same people who look down on others for putting hot sauce or ketchup on everything. It's a, look. I will give uh, the original Get Jiro one thing. It's it's got its problems. It's fistful of dollars. Um, <laughs> there are certain parts where it's like, how exactly did we get here? Uh, but yeah, I learned that you're supposed to uh, dip your nigiri in on the fish side, not the rice side, and that you're. The one thing I got from this second reading, which I didn't know, but I didn't pick up the first three times I read it, <laughs> was you're supposed to apparently put it in fish side down, rice side up. In your mouth. Yes. Well, yeah, because that's where the condiments will be. Except it's not. <laughs> because I what I took from it is you put the fish side in the soy sauce so yeah. you don't get... Com- so then the But then condiment- they're saying keep it upside down when you put it in your face. Yeah. <laughs> so you've you've dipped the fish in the soy sauce and then from there you you leave the rice rice side up in your in your fist and then you put it in your face fish side down cuz it's been fish side down in the soy sauce. What uh okay. <laughs> and yet the rice is supposed to be as important and now the rice is upside down so I'm not getting the rice I'm getting soy sauce. Yeah, look I just want somebody to tell me how I can eat so I don't die. That's all I fucking want. And, and ultimately, it comes down to eat it the way that you like. <laughs> That's the important thing. <laughs> now, put your hands together for the man who's falling apart before our eyes. I like the fish. That's, I want the fish and the rice. Exactly. And again, it's, that's where... It's, uh, look, what I took from it is putting the, soy, putting the rice into the soy sauce overly soys it up. Mm-hmm. So yes, that I got. But now I gotta be fussy enough to do. But son of a bitch, just put it in your head. Just, just <laughs> put the put the food in your face. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. Um, I'm lost. Uh, I'm angry, and I'm armed. <laughs> I'm sorry. I took us way 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 afield. No, I, you didn't. But I think there's. There's things that he is is playing up for effect in this book that that don't that you you want to be sympathetic to, but also kind of add to to he's not helping himself. There's Jiro's half brother is going around shaking down various 
entertainment and food organizations, restaurants for money as part of his mob responsibilities because there's a whole thing going on where they're inching in uh, to get control of territories that had been formally controlled by Jiro's uncle, who is now dead, at the hands of his father. <laughs> right. There's two or three people who are Don Fanucci from Godfather Part Two. Yeah. As the, as the shakedown changes hands. And and one of them was um, is the, the master sushi chef under whom Jiro was working. And Jiro comes to work the next day and the his boss is outraged because some gangster had come in the night before. He didn't know they were related. And yeah. well, um, it, it was his brother. Cause he it, talked no, about I know, the, but the glasses. I'm, right. But I'm just saying like the sushi chef didn't know that it was his brother. Right. And broke his hands and, um, pissed on his cutting board. And you know, for, for that, the guy must die because this is a sacred space on which our, our, Precious work is done, and it's been violated. Even that wasn't that a wasn't that ripped off a of fucking Iron Chef? Oh yeah, I was gonna say it goes back to like Morimoto being pissed off at Bobby Flay when they did the show at um, I don't know, yeah way, Albert Hall or something way back in the day when you and I were first getting together on my birthday. <laughs> they, we used to play the Iron Chef drinking game. Now, if you've never played the Iron Chef drinking game, first you have to go on YouTube and find one of the old Iron Chef shows. It may not be in English; doesn't matter. The second thing is uh, it is a drinking game that is the most efficient drinking game toward hospitalizing you as I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. You will easily drink a six-pack of beer during an episode, which is 44 minutes, if yes. you do it right. It almost comes down to drink when you see an Asian person. Pretty much. You just constantly drink. And yeah, on my 30th birthday, they, they had an episode uh, where it was yeah Morimoto, who was one of the Asian Iron Chefs, versus Bobby Flay. And when Bobby Flay just finished, he didn't even win, he finished, he jumped up on his cutting board. He flipped it over first, so he wasn't coming down on something slick or gross, but yeah. Right, and jumped up on his cutting board to raise the roof, because he's Bobby Flay and senseless and <laughs> brainless and fucked up. But the, but it was, uh, yeah, like he exposed his scrotum to the people of Japan. It's <laughs> as though he teabagged the board. Exactly. It's a, you have to show more respect for your cutting board. And All right, I get all right. On the one hand, I get it. I get it. On the other hand, it's a cutting board. Throw it away. Get another one. Bleach down your, your cooking area. You're not killing the guy because he violated your sacred space with his pee. You're killing the guy because he's a dick. He deserves to die. <laughs> yes, that's true. But the, the whole cutting board thing, like that's the worst thing you could do. It's a Bobby Flay's shoes were on a cutting board. Raw stinky tuna was on it 10 minutes ago. You know what? Shit watches off. <laughs> Bleach. Bleach. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the disrespect of somebody coming in and... And that wasn't even Morimoto's cutting board. No. It was, it was Bobby Bobby's Flay's. cutting board. He said, fuck it, I'm a millionaire from the Food Network. I get another cutting board. <laughs> oh, put my dick on it. Wow. <laughs> it's Bobby Flay. He's more like, put my dick on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jesus. Well, he, he is Irish. Hey. Um. <laughs> anyway. Anyway. So I, I, again, I keep I keep uh, derailing. I apologize, but it, yeah, the the connection with the cutting board occurred to me. Yeah, and again, so yes, Jiro's master all pissed off because of the cutting board. Yes, and this this becomes important later in the book when Jiro will have his final showdown with his half brother, who then goes and kills his father, their father, because he wasn't going to be promoted to be boss after the father died. Right. And you know, in the, in the final showdown, 
the the sneaky sushi master shows up and guts him from behind. Yeah, apparently, uh, as far as Tony Bourdain is concerned, if you're a sushi chef, you're also a ninja who can sneak up on a battle-hardened Yakuza warrior. Well, well, he does point out that he runs three miles a day and used to be a karate master. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, as one does <laughs> you know i run a 10th marathon and by the way i used to be batman <laughs> yeah you know but don't jump on cutting yeah words. yeah <laughs> you damn fool you're more useless than aquaman <laughs> so you know it, again I, I want to enjoy the book i liked the art the art in this book was done by um ale garza who yes. i guess has has done some books for marvel and dc yeah, I mean the art is pretty good, but the the art in the original Get Jiro was so distinctive. It was. And, uh, oh Christ, we talked Langdon about Langdon Foss. Yes, Langdon Foss. But who did it remind us of? It reminds us of Darrow. Um, uh, Jeff, Darrow. Jeff Darrow. Yeah, highly detailed and and you kind of want that in a world building book, which yeah. you know, the science fiction element re- required a certain amount of that. And but it, it yeah, it's just uh, the art here was yeah pretty solid. Yeah. It, but, um, but just the high level of detail it came from in the original, it's it, it's very different. And I don't want to say it feels like a step down, but it's kind of jarring because I read them back to back so we could do the show. And yeah, it. Look, I've spent four hundred dollars on a big old Jeff Darrow original <laughs> original ink wash. Uh, clearly, that's a style that I like occasionally. What, so I, I'm going to be prejudiced toward that. I think tone wise, the one thing it got right is this is supposed to take place when Jiro was younger and the art feels young. Yeah, but even then, it, it feels when he was younger, it was six months younger. Yeah, you know, so they say and get Jiro. Oh, he's been here for six months. So what we're seeing here is six months before he lands. It was it was a, it was a hard six months. <laughs> it's a hard six months. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> L.A. wears on a man. It, it, it will It'll <laughs> suck the bone marrow right out of here. <laughs> So um, I'm out of order with the things that I was going to talk about with this, um, but it's all right. We'll we'll get back onto it. Um, I mean, it's it's a hard. I think it's a hard line to straddle. You wanna you wanna write about something in in a way that shows that you love it and 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 what it means to you. But I think that it can be easy if you're not paying attention to tone to alienate. And, I, and I've seen it in comics, and I've seen it just in in fandom in in general. So, if the the goal, as it has been stated for the most part in in particularly comics fandom, is that we're trying to be more inclusive, how do we communicate that to our writers? And I don't know that they necessarily have to care, but at least it should be communicated to them. Well, if if you're trying to get that kind of message into this kind of story where, okay, we're going to talk about a different uh, fandom, but we want to communicate the same kind of message that we do about comics, these stories go away. Yeah. Uh, Up to a point. You can certainly tell Fistful of Dollars without decapitating somebody who asks for a California (laughs) roll. You can take those pieces out. And honestly, those pieces are not in Get Jiro, Blood, and Sushi. True. It's you see none of that. You see none of that because, frankly, the idea of Jiro as sushi master, as has been described in say the the DVD 
excuse me, had a lot of beers, almost burped into the microphone. Jiro huh. <laughs> uh, Dreams of Sushi. Yeah. Jiro never got there. He did three years of rice. Mm-hmm. And so didn't in Jiro Dreams of Sushi say he did like seven years of rice? I forget, but it was well, a lot. You do a lot of rice before they even start to let you think. And you wash pots and pans before you even get to rice. Right. So Jiro, at least, uh, he could wash a mean pot. He did half of his rice training. And then he cut fish for two days and then went to America. Pretty much. He should be working at uh, Sushi Mart somewhere. <laughs> Like in the back of uh, like the sushi uh, at the back of the supermarket, <laughs> he, he's not. He shouldn't be a sushi master in no. in Get Jiro the original. One. No one would one would think. Um, but it's it's like you know if you're gonna cho- if you're gonna pick and choose what's important to the food culture, <laughs> then you need to be careful in those choices because yeah, then people like us come along and say, well, but what about this? Whoa, what whoa, about whoa. this? Us? I've learned it by osmosis. The fact that I know it means that Bourdain should definitely know it and should have set his thing differently. Yeah. Should have had him apprentice somewhere else as opposed to going directly to Los Angeles. But even that gets away from the original point, which was the concept of Jiro as somebody who is so pure about his sushi, he would kill somebody you get exactly one line of that, which is his Italian girlfriend who's basically saying, oh, you're going to America? Fuck you. I'd rather die here in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> saying, don't don't let him make you make California rolls. Well, that is sort of the funny part you know, among the food boards that I that I frequent. There is one that talks about, you know, um, it's broken up regionally. So if you need travel advice, say you're going to Tokyo or say you're going to Boston or say you're going to Greenland, I don't know. The, there's there's region specific boards on this particular website, right? So all the time in the on the Japan portion of the site, you see, you know, I'm going to Japan for the first time, and I'm staying at this particular hotel, and I want to eat at um, places X, Y, and Z. And X, Y, and Z, they are constantly told over and over, "You're a foreigner. You're never going to get in there because you don't know anybody." Like so, these these folks that would be potentially presumably upsetting the sushi master's delicate sensibilities because they don't understand the culture. They're not making it to these restaurants Yeah, in the first place. <laughs> right. And the thing is, comics can't have that attitude. Yeah. Restaurants shouldn't have that attitude. That's a dick move. That's a douchebag. Yeah. Well, that's just it. It, it. It's it's interesting to watch culturally how it plays out. I got no dog in this fight. I'm not going there anytime soon. So. <laughs> but it's not about culture. It's not about anything else. Comics has had that reputation because every <clears throat> every niche fandom, niche fan community has that attitude. Oh yeah. It's we were we are or were a niche. We are and or have been outsiders, and because of that. If you want to come in here, you better know your shit. The problem with that is that guarantees people don't come in. Right. And you can have a certain amount of that attitude in the food community because if you don't eat, you die. Right. Nobody needs a comic book. But even, you know, on the most basic fucking level, I watched on another food site, a fairly popular one, an article was written by an individual, a James Beard nominated individual <laughs> talking about how um, anything you can do with a slow cooker, you can do better with these other techniques. 
And the tone of the article was written in a way that it had to be clickbait. It, it, it was not. Okay. It was not kind. Uh, <laughs> it was basically, "You're lazy if you use a slow cooker. You should use a pressure cooker or a Dutch oven in a slow oven instead. And if you don't, you don't care about your food." And apparently, it made it to Reddit and blew up Reddit for a while. <laughs> oh, no, Reddit doesn't truck with that kind. <laughs> no. And on my, you know, I have a, I have a slow cooker. Um, I would like to not be made to feel that I'm an asshole because I prefer to put a pork shoulder in there and walk away for the day. Yeah. <laughs> so I could just as easily argue you don't care about food and, and cooking and you just care about clicks because otherwise you would have written that, you know, differently. <laughs> I question your skills as a writer. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I wouldn't. I just did. But I... <laughs> Go right ahead. <laughs> Fuck that guy. But it, it's the same thing. Like, do you care about being inclusive in your fandom if you don't that's fine <laughs> but then it makes you a dick it, it does and it guarantees it guarantees that your fandom will wither you know if there's a purity test <laughs> eventually you, you you don't grow with a purity test you just don't you know, it, it, it's never been good for comics it just it hasn't been if somebody walks into a comic store and is not made to feel welcome all right I'm going to die eventually. <laughs> I will stop spending my $150 every fucking week. And it's like that more weeks than not at the comic store. Yeah. I'll accept review copies. Uh, any publisher <laughs> wants to send them. But, <laughs> um, yeah, it's, if you, if you have a purity test, you're not going to grow. And it's, it's been a comics problem. You don't get comic book guy on the Simpsons. If that's not the reputation that you have, which means that reputation comics has had since at least the 1980s. Yeah. When comics was exploding and it was supposed to be not for kids anymore. I, I don't disagree. You can get away with it more if it's food because, uh, you know, you can say you're a foodie and doctor up a McDonald's. Uh, let's face it. Uh, going back to Sandra Lee, she got on Food Network doctoring up a McDonald's. Yeah. You know, now she's dating Andrew Cuomo. Go you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, so. and if your restaurant in Japan is making, yep, we're covering the rent and I have my punk rock purity, all right, that's all you ever need. Oh, until somebody else has the punk rock purity and then you'll be sucking a dick to get somebody in there to eat your goddamn sushi. Yeah, and and they kind of talk about that with um, Jiro's girlfriend's restaurant. I mean, nobody's coming in there because they don't appreciate the style of Italian food that they're doing in there. And okay, but... You know, it's like saying, oh, gee, you know, nobody's clicking here on this podcast. You, know, you, you do what you can do and, yeah. and and you do it for as long as you can do it and you do it because you love it. And if if you can't make it sustainable, then you find something else to do. That's true. Oh, I've struggled <laughs> with that now and again. <laughs> make no mistake. Um, I'd say ultimately, arguably, going back to some of the other books that have come out in this niche, um, Brian Woods, I, and you and I have sort of chosen to agree to disagree about Starve because you found it to be too Transmet-like? I didn't dislike Starve, but Starve is Transmetropolitan with food. You know, yeah. what's his name? Cruikshank. Yep. Is Spider-Jerusalem uh, who cooks and set of rights. That's, that's really about it for me. Yeah. And, and I, I get that perspective. As, as a, a book about food fandom, I found it more effective than the two books that Bourdain has written 
I found that um, they touch on some of the same topics, you know, the like respect to food culture and, and how you source your ingredients and the importance of family shows up in both books and desire to share what you've learned to help build your community also shows up in, in both of these books. True. And would for me did it better because he did it in, in a way where he told the story he, he showed rather than told, you know, there was a moment that stood out for me in, in like issue one where um, the, the protagonist makes a reference to some grilled sausage that he's eating, except he doesn't call it that he calls it by whatever it was in whatever country he was in. Okay. But Wood didn't go out of his way to asterisk it and put like a text box. Oh, that's what this is. Or, you know, explain it in like three more text boxes, which is what Bourdain would have done. Yeah. <laughs> Two or three panels. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the one uh, that jumps out to me because I just reread both of them was a... Uh... And get Jiro where he goes to the underground for chefs only French restaurant. Yeah, and it's it's a page and a half of eh, here's how we make a pot of foo. Yeah, or whatever the hell it's called. Yeah, cheeseburger pot, pot of, of whatever pot of foo. <laughs> the <fuck> you. <laughs> <laughs> ha ha. Well, it's yeah. I'm I don't want to derail. I'm, I don't want to derail. So. Yes, uh, but you're right. He, he he spent a lot of real estate to show almost the recipe. Yeah. Where it didn't matter for the story at all. You could have yanked all of that. Right. Um, so Wood, you, know, you, you go on, and if you know what it is, great. It increases your comprehension of the story that much more. If you don't, then you just know, okay, he's eating an exotic thing, and you move on with the rest of the story. <laughs> yes. He's not dumbing it down. And I appreciated that. You know, I did. I, I think I went and I Googled it, and I found out what it was, and I felt better about me. <laughs> all right. But I didn't have to, is the point. The way he wrote it well enough that you didn't need to. Well, Brian Wood is a comics storyteller. Yeah. And Anthony Bourdain has written some crime fiction. Mm. Uh, the Bone in the Throat series, I think it's called. I've, yeah, I've, I've never read it. read it or never seen it, but it was before Kitchen Confidential. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're talking 90s, but it's been a long time, and he certainly has never read uh, never written comic books except for Get Jiro and Blood and Sushi. So that that's a difference. And I don't know. Brian Wood certainly, I don't think, has ever worked as a chef. So he may be tackling it from the foodie end of I believe fandom. when Wood wrote Starve, he was writing it in consultation with somebody who was a chef. So he got information that way. Okay, but still, it's it, it wasn't inside baseball. Yeah. Which I got a sense with a lot of the, oh, we're talking about food and get Jiro was inside baseball. Hey, this is an important French dish. Yeah. So we're going to tell you how it's made. This is important sushi. So we're going to tell you why you need to die if you order a fucking California roll. Which I suppose comes back to when we rail against, you know, write about what you know. <laughs> yes. He's writing about what he knows. So, okay, fine, but how do you, how do you, how does your editor work with you so that it doesn't interrupt the flow of your story that you feel that you have to go off on this exposition? Yes. And that's kind of a problem when you bring in a celebrity from outside, is your book is probably going to get published. Yeah. And it was, uh, I have not reread the Chris Cosentino Wolverine you, book. You did reread your review today. Yes. <laughs> Uh, which which was entitled "Write What You Know and Then Stop." And, and this a, is my name. Yeah, and, and well, well, no, it's uh, the point was uh, yes, he wrote about food and he wrote about uh, San Francisco food culture and he wrote about the banter in his kitchen all flawlessly. But he didn't know Wolverine from a hole in the ground. Wolverine would have 
uh, his enhanced senses until the story required that he didn't. Uh, Wolverine would uh, immediately be captured to show Costantino as the hero. It's, he knew how to write about food, but he didn't know how to write a comic book. And a point that I made in the review was what should have happened here was fine, you take the story like any other commission story and you look at this and say, we can't fucking publish this. You give him his check and you put it on the fucking spike pile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's And Bourdain's is not nearly at that level. There's a story. There's a flow. It gets derailed, particularly in Get Jiro, with let me show you why you should care about this French dish or this particular... the. Uh, what is some kind of fish you suck the brains out of or some goddamn thing, <laughs> yeah, which has nothing to do with story except the set sort of tone and world and what's important to Jiro. Uh, but it's uh, at least there's a story here. The biggest problem I had with both books was, uh, yes, the ninja fucking master sushi chef who just happens to be in the right place in the right time to sneak up on the man with a gun and gut him with a sushi knife. Right, right. So, So it's... Yeah, I don't want to... Constantino's book should not have been published. <laughs> Get Jiro is perfectly fine, but it, yeah, it's there's so much inside baseball there. If you're a fan of Anthony Bourdain and, and you, you like what he does, you will enjoy these books. If you if you step back in your, and you're looking at it just as someone who's reading a comic book and you aren't necessarily a foodie, this is a very... You're going to see a book that's very like brash and abrasive to to those who are not into the food culture. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you take away the food stuff and the Black Rain slash Ishii the Killer slash whatever Yakuza move, you know, the Infernal Affairs, it's a yes. Again, this 15 seconds will tell you the story of Get Jiro Blood and Sushi. But I don't want any of that. I'd rather... Rather what? I'd rather just... Make sushi. <laughs> Done. That's the story. That's it. Now, now go watch The Godfather. You'll feel better about yourself. Exactly. <laughs> okay. I feel bad about that. I, I like... I like Bourdain. <laughs> it's... Like I said, it's, it's not... Look, if you're an Anthony Bourdain fan and a foodie, there's a, a ton that you'll probably like in this. You'll get more out of it more out of either book than than I did. Although the really food-focused stuff, there was a lot more of it in the original Get Jiro than in Blood and Sushi, I found. Yeah, this was really him spending more time, I think, almost fetishizing uh, Japanese food culture. Here, look at this yakitori place. Here, look at this shabu-shabu. Here, look at the sushi. Here, it It felt very much like some of the way I think that he works with story editors to visually lay out one of his travel programs. Here is my header. Yakitori. Yeah. Here are my panels. Bum, 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 bum. Yeah, I forgot about the shabu shabu thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I think perhaps that work on the travel program has impacted his storytelling because he laid it out exactly like he might one of the episodes of Parts Unknown or No Res- Reservations. Yeah. No, you, you make a point there, which I hadn't really thought of. It's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, let's come up with a gimmick story yeah to string these experiences together and yes in the sense of write what you know fine his girlfriend is just like my ex-wife <laughs> whatever <laughs> and everybody has akira haircuts 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my God. <laughs> Jesus. And the tiny glasses, the tiny people with big glasses, like in Akira. Yes. Oh yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so ultimately, look, we talked a long time ago in in our website's history about get. You did the original Get Jiro mm-hmm. review. It's but people listening to the show may not have been. It's there. Feel free to search it either through the site or Google. <laughs> but it's a all right as. As a non-foodie, I would say I enjoyed Get Jiro a little bit better just because I like that art style a little bit better. Mm-hmm. The The sci-fi element uh, spoke to me a little bit more than, okay, fine, it's a Yakuza slash Godfather uh, kung fu flick uh, that could be set any time between 1978 and now. Uh, that spoke to me a little bit more. The, the food stuff, eh, you probably could have cut 10 pages out of the thing, 12 pages out of the thing, and not really affected the story at all. Uh, blood and sushi, yeah, not bad. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that's kind of my review as a non-foodie. And I, I, think, that's, I think that's a reasonable one. Um, as a foodie for me, I didn't learn anything that I haven't learned watching one of his programs already. Okay. So beyond watching him attempt to craft a story around stuff that I already knew. Eh. Nice art. Which is fine. <laughs> yeah, look. <laughs> I, yeah. It, as sort of a fan of Bourdain, eh, all right, this is okay. But uh, yeah, if you really want the story, uh, yeah, Monty Python and the Holy Grail and follow it up with uh, Fistful of Dollars. <laughs> the Godfather. Yeah. <laughs> Well, no, forget Jiro. Oh, yeah. Go go with Fistful of Dollars. Yeah. Because, uh, hey, man, Eastwood, come on. Yeah. <laughs> the baddest-ass sushi chef in the world Jesus. dies at Clint Eastwood's hands. It's true. But, so, so yeah, if you're a food, is it a read, not read, if you're a foodie and... If you've got nothing comics. else to do. <laughs> okay. It, no, if you're, if, you're, if you're into food and you're looking for a comic book, I would say go pick up Starve and Chew. Yeah, you know what? Uh, chew, chew just makes everything more fun. It's it's set in a dystopian future where we can't eat chicken, so there's illicit chicken, chicken. Yeah, so it's a, oh, and and pollo, the warrior chicken, for yeah. Christ's sake. <laughs> yeah, it's it's about a a guy who works for. He's the, a sebapath, I believe it's called. Yes, yeah, so when he eats food. He's able to psychically connect with it. He knows where it was grown. He knows everything that happened to it. So he's able to to use that psychic power to solve crimes. Yes. Such as, who put this illicit chicken on the market? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but it's ultimately the connection with foodie culture. Is and there's much, vampires. Oh, of course there's vampires. <laughs> but but the, the, the connection with hardcore foodie culture is much more uh, tenuous in that. Yes. So you don't really need to know very much at all. I, I think Starve is a little bit further up the ladder, but yeah. again, not so much. And yeah, with Starve, like I said, I, I enjoyed it and found myself reading it, even as I'm like, this is just fucking Transmetropolitan with a cheeseburger. The thing for Chew for me is, since I, I take such pleasure in eating, I can't imagine what it would be like to have some sort of situation where my my pleasure is interrupted constantly because 
I, I know like who cut their hand while they were making my food. Like, and, and, I, and, I, and I know like what pile of manure they used to, to fertilize the ground my tomato came from. You would be fine because the one food that Tony Chu can eat without getting that is beets. And you <laughs> love beets. You love and serve beets to the point where there's at least eight to ten mornings a year where I have to say, when you stand up from the toilet, don't panic. You had beets last night. It's not anal cancer. So you'd be fine. We just have beets with every meal. Be all good. What's for dinner? Borscht again? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it's the only way I can eat. <laughs> Yum. And then in 20 years, Rob, you've got rectal cancer. How did I not see it coming? Well, it's the only way I can yum. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for taking point on, on the larger piece ha- of this. Happy to. Uh, do you want to talk about one comic book? Let's do that. And we've... Speaking, I, I haven't gotten angry about a comic book in a whole three minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've been tearing the whole goddamn thing down since it's been going, and we are finally up to, uh, what is it, issue six? It is. Civil War Two, written by Brian Michael Bendis, uh, art by David Marquez. Uh, my big note here is nothing fucking happens. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, this is the big. Well, probably issue. some things happened, but we didn't see them happen. Like when did Ulysses get fucking Karnic markings? Yeah. Well, all right. Let's let's talk about this. Number one, spoilers. Yes. Oh, by the way, we spoiled the <laughs> shit out of Get Zero. <laughs> Sorry about that. We should, probably should have warned you. But <laughs> so yeah, we're dealing with the aftermath of an issue five at the end of it. Karnak, uh, not Karnak. Uh, Ulysses put out the the vision that everybody could feel of. Uh, Spider-Man, Ultimate Spider-Man, killing Steve Rogers, Captain America. Miles Morales. Yes, Miles Morales and Steve. That's where we're at in the Marvel Universe. With any superhero, you need to qualify which one it is. Mm -hmm. Because there's like five versions of each. Yes. So, so yeah, it's, it's the argument over... Oh shit, Captain Marvel has had seen this vision of Miles Morales killing Steve Rogers. Do they take him into custody? Do they let him go home? Has he done anything? Has he not? Is she right? Is Captain America right? And but ultimately nothing happens. There's one big event and it's somebody finally looks at Captain Marvel and says, "Nah, you know what? You're wrong and I'm done." Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm done with your shit. I've been waiting for three months, for somebody to fucking say T'Challa, it. finally, finally. Yeah. Yes. Now, in the latest, <laughs> in the latest, this week's totally awesome Hulk, Rick Jones finally said, "Has nobody here seen Minority Report?" I'm like, okay, somebody finally said that. Yeah, I've got a. You, you kind of said it was a downer though, so I haven't read that one yet. It it, it is. So, uh, yeah, I know there's there's a couple key things with. And this is a problem with every Marvel, with every Marvel and DC event. This is another one that has run long. Mm. It has run long. They've added issues to it. And because of that, other comics that are related to the event have come out that give you hints as to where it goes. Yes. And one of them, one of the big ones is the Ultimates this week, where we get a real sense that, yes, after all is said and done, there is a backlash. Yes, there is a certain amount of responsibility that Captain Marvel has to take. But not having the main story done or seeing where that comes from. So it's <laughs> it's so goddamn frustrating to read some of these events because it's like, all right, I already know who's going to take the fall. I know who's gonna, certain people are going to survive. And 
in particular with this event, the elephant in the room with this issue is, and the last issue, we've got Spider-Man supposedly killing Captain America. Yes. Well, over in Captain America's main book, Steve Rogers' Captain America, he is brainwashed and believes he's an agent of Hydra. Mm -hmm. That has never been brought up, referenced, or in any way talked about in the main book. Gee, it's almost like some sort of elephant in the room. Yes, except one thing that both Marvel and DC have also been pretty good about is, oh no, for our big events, you don't need to read anything around it. <laughs> so that that's the big question here for me is, because it is brought up in this week's Steve Rogers' Captain America, mm. uh, that... Captain America is aware this is happening and is still brainwashed and is still going to take certain action for the greater glory of Hydra, but it's not referenced here. And to me, that would be a big breach of faith if it just suddenly drops into the main book where, oh no, you're never going to have to read anything but the main book. If something from something outside drops in, that's... Yeah. I'm going to have a real problem with it, even though I'm reading that book. Again, $150 worth of comics a month. Again, I'll accept review copies. <laughs> Please. <laughs> I can't fix the woodpecker damage to my house. We might not even savage them. Sometimes we like books. Often we like books. Yeah. <laughs> this week, yeah. Wouldn't do this, I'd say, every week, except it's been every other week. Thank you, Job. <laughs> Take care of your diabetes, kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'll say? I want to say a positive thing. Here's here's something that I can I can both commend um, Get Jiro Blood and Sushi and Civil War Two for. Yes, there is no trace of Watchmen in either of these books. <laughs> that is true. <laughs> that is true. We see things pop up now and again in some of the Rebirth books, and yes. every time you, you hear me screaming from the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> Son of a yeah, Parker gets all upset. <laughs> yes, he does. But uh, yeah, look, there were things that I liked in this issue. I wish more happened. Yes. I'm glad somebody finally, you know, spoilers, it's Black Panther finally says, I, I can't do this anymore. And, and by the way, if an attack on me is an attack on Wakanda. <laughs> so, uh, Just so you know the stakes. Yeah. Let's keep this war civil, kids. <laughs> but uh, Maria yeah. Hill tries to arrest Captain America. Yeah, uh, there are such this this whole thing has required such suspension of disbelief that yeah, Maria Hill would try to arrest Captain America, and with all this, at least it's sort of name checked here. Maria Hill knows full well who Miles Morales is, and yet with all this going on, won't tell Captain Marvel, and they they still have to, despite her being wrong, despite ever through the whole opening of this book. It's like, I need to do this to be right. Well, leave it up to him. Okay, I'll leave it up to him. I want to go home. No, you can't go home. And she just contradicts herself every goddamn step of the way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I want something bad to happen to Captain Marvel. I think she should walk into um, a strip mall sushi giant and order some, <laughs> some California roll and make a wasabi slurry. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> Oh. Unapologetically, yeah, with a Bluetooth like ear earpiece. Yeah, just let me take my nega bands off. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, there were things I liked in this, but it's Bendis has been saying for a while. Oh, part of why it's running late is I thought of new ideas and new ways to stretch it out. Well, this is 
this is stretch. Yeah. There's not a lot that happens here. And the the problem is <laughs> it, it it feels in its own way like a cheat. Mm. It, by which I mean the end of issue five was that full page splash Ulysses vision of Spider-Man killing Captain, not just killing Captain America, but killing Captain America on the steps of the Capitol building of the United States of America. Hasn't Steve Rogers already been killed on the steps of the Capitol building of the United States of America? No, he got killed on the steps of uh, the <laughs> 14th Precinct the, okay, Courthouse. All right. uh, some goddamn filthy... He died on steps. Yeah, some courtroom in New York City. That he, doesn't really count. He died. Yeah, but it's, it is such a visual, of course, Captain America must die on the steps of the Capitol. Well, how do we get there? Well, we get there because the vision happened. And because the vision happened, both Captain America and Spider-Man are going to go there to prove that the vision's not right. Which doesn't make any goddamn sense to me at all. That's like, it's like an alcoholic <laughs> saying, you know what? I think I'm clean. I'm going to spend the day at the bar reading comic books. No, you're fucking not. You're in a bar. <laughs> <laughs> Why go to the place where? <laughs> and I'm gonna go alone because I don't need support. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's the major events of this book, most of which we kind of knew. You know, we knew from other books. Mm-hmm. You know, Captain Marvel losing most of her support. We see that in the Ultimates. Yes. Uh, knowing that Captain America is gonna go to the Capitol, we saw that in Steve Rogers' Captain America. Uh, knowing that all the kids, you know, Nova and Ms. Marvel and everybody were going to leave, well, we knew that Ms. Marvel was disillusioned with Captain Marvel in uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, that Ms. Marvel. Yep, and from fucking Champions Number One, which, by the way, was fucking great. I don't. I don't. I've, I've not. Had I think that was one of that. our off weeks. Yeah. It's uh, dude, Mark Wade <laughs> doing those characters. It, yeah, do it. Do I, it now. I, I will. But yeah, we knew that they, so yeah, the big things that were revealed here, because it's fucking late, <laughs> we already knew. So it's like, yep, here's another Civil War story. And the sad thing is the biggest you know, teaser in it is, ooh, are you going to make a part of this something from another book that wasn't part of the main book? Because that's a real breach of faith. Yeah. And I just, I feel like they've done a really poor job trying to advance Ulysses. Like we read a whole series that was allegedly about Ulysses, yeah. in which we learned nothing about Ulysses, and now he seems to be um, evincing a power level beyond what he had before. He's like all glowing, and there's like crackly stuff coming off his fingers, and he's got weird Karnak markings, and we know that he can make people see his predictions um, in a way that's much more strongly felt than he's been able to manage so far. But as his ability to project those predictions has increased, um, their accuracy appears to have declined. Yes. So my question is, is he beginning to develop some other power set where not only is he having predictions, he's also going to start shifting people's, um, actions like is he going to start influencing actions yeah but you brought it up when we first started talking about this it's all of that comes from nowhere all of that comes from nowhere and and it feels to me like the most likely scenario that's happening here is his power really is fear-mongering it's very possible <laughs> and he, he has the ability the ability to instill great fear <laughs> yes he he Indicates scenarios that would be absolutely horrible if they actually went, you know, came to pass, 
and everybody goes there to see what happens, and maybe there's a tiny kernel of a precognition pop- yeah. there. Yeah. But everything else comes from, oh, but I put all the pieces in place. Right. Yeah. And that's a very real possibility. Given that this seems to to be primarily a, a social justice commentary about life in the United States right now, <laughs> it you, feels most likely that that is the scenario based on what's happening, not to get political, but what's happening in the election process. Oh, yeah. I, I in no way want to talk about <laughs> the American presidential election right now. No, I don't either, but I'm just saying it, it seems most likely based on what we've been seeing. This is all I'm going to say about the presidential election right now. I want you guys to go out there and protect your balls at any cost. <laughs> just <laughs> pretend yeah. it's not happening and cover your junk. Yeah. But uh, I think it is telling from Bendis' point of view that, you know, oh, who is the vision of... Captain America being killed by the the black kid. Yeah. Yeah. It's there's nothing really subtle here. No. And uh, th- that's okay. I don't need subtle in my comic books. But what I do need is what really bothered me most about this issue of was wow, we see this battle happening out on the Capitol steps. So because I wrote that and everybody let's all go there and see whether or not we fight to the death. I don't think anybody would do that. Yeah. If somebody said, Rob, I I had a credible vision <laughs> of you plowing into somebody with your car on your way to work on Tuesday, I think it'd be, wow, shit, you know what? I'm going to work from home on Tuesday. Yeah, fuck that noise. I'm not leaving the house. <laughs> right. So I'll give Civil War credit. We talked about it a, a couple weeks ago or a couple episodes ago. It's It's gotten us talking. Yes. But the problem is uh, now the talking is, yeah, all the high hopes I had for, well, science fiction issues of free will and no, it's just, yeah, big holes in the story. Yeah. Yeah. Why is Ulysses like this now? We don't know. And like you said, we read all the issues of Al Ewing's fucking Ulysses story (laughs) and it doesn't give any indication that this is happening. (laughs) Nope. So, so yeah, I'm ready for this to be done. I'm ready to move on to something else. And I just, just tell me how it ends. Somebody, e- Bendis, you listen to the show, right? Just <laughs> email us with how it ends, so I can save a little money to fix our siding from the fucking woodpecker and send my brother, I don't know, some sugar-free frozen yogurt. And so and, I can I can buy some sushi-grade frozen fish because I'm not going to be able to show my face in a sushi bar in a hundred-mile radius. Right. Apparently. We need our we need to stockpile our dough. So just <laughs> tell us how it ends so we can save like fifteen bucks on comics for the next month or two and, and move on with our lives. Yes. All right, yeah. I mean, at this point, if you're reading Civil War Two, it doesn't matter if we say buy or don't buy. But it's uh, this is you can probably hold on this until your next paycheck and get this with issue seven yeah. in a month or four months or whenever the fuck it comes out at this point. <laughs> so far behind in the solicitations for everything going on. Right. Oh dear. All right. We got anything else? Or should we wrap it up? I think we can wrap it up at this point. All right. So yes, and once again, thank you for your patience with us as for two months we've been a weekly show that happens every two weeks. I swear to God we're going to try next week. We've we've already, <laughs> we're scheduled to go to Doctor Strange. 
with friends of the show, yes. Trevor Shea and Pixie Sticks. So maybe there'll be guests on the show. We're trying to figure it out as we go along. But. It's, it's, it's going to be highly dependent on your energy level because I do believe you are also on call for work. Oh, fuck me. Okay. So we're <laughs> going to try and do a show about Doctor Strange next week. Uh, thank you for sticking with us as things have gone weird. We're really trying to stabilize certain things you don't have any control over. And uh, for those who uh, wrote to us uh, about uh, my brother, thank you very much. But let's close the show out. <laughs> Don't know where you found this episode, but you can always <laughs> find us uh, at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. We are on Facebook. Uh, it is facebook.com slash crisisoninfinitemidlives. You can find us on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Twitter handle is at infinitemidlife. We are on Tumblr. Uh, if you really want to follow us there, it's crisisoninfinitemidlives.tumblr.com. Mm-hmm. You can find the show on iTunes, and if that's how you obtain your podcasts, certainly you can subscribe to us through there. Otherwise, uh, if you got a minute, give us a, a review, give us a rating. It helps new people find the show. Oh, God, where else are we? Where aren't we? We're on Google Play. We're on Stitcher. <laughs> uh, we are on uh, TuneIn Radio. Tune in Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. And uh, anything on that I missed? Because otherwise, iTunes, did you mention iTunes? I did iTunes. Okay. Yes, we're we're everywhere. We're, we're bad. We're nationwide. Yeah, <laughs> and cheap sunglasses and sharp dressed man and uh, <laughs> tush tush. <I> yes, <laughs> there you go. Pearl necklace. Jesus. <laughs> you can always email us saying why are you talking about ZZ Top? Who gives a shit? You can email us at uh, crisis on infinite midlives at gmail and I think that is it. I think you're right. This has been, a, what, episode 131. It is. Of the Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening and derp. But I don't want any of that. I'd rather... Rather what? I'd rather just... Withstand the Dio's fall. <laughs> <laughs> <Don't waste it. laughs> and we're out.